Well, if you looked at the outline, you might notice it looks a little light. My son said it looks like two verses and an opinion. That's, that's my boy. And, and the reason why is because we are going to focus primarily on 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So the majority of our time will be spent on that passage with some support verses. Uh, but we're going to go back and spend a little bit of time talking about fellowshipping with God. Now, I'll give you just a little bit of background on 1 John uh, before we start to dive into the first chapter here. But by the time that John had written this, depending, really no matter when you date um, the book of Revelation, by the time that John wrote 1 John, we know that he was a mature Christian and he had lived the Christian life for many years. He had struggled and been through many, many different trials. And I'm sure that he suffered just as bad as the rest of the disciples and many of the other Christians at that time. Eventually, we do know that he was sent to the island of Patmos where Christ uh, had given him the vision and he wrote the book of Revelation. Interestingly, here in John, uh, 1 John, he does not give his name. He uses the same phraseology and words uh, that we do find in the rest of his books. Uh, we know that John wrote, over five, or wrote five books um, and only the book of Revelation actually reveals his name. And we don't know why that is. Maybe it was out of humility. Uh, but we do know that all of his writings were accredited to him by the early church, and all of them were accepted as authoritative. Now, specifically regarding 1 John, what was it that he really wanted us to know? And we're going to go right to the basis of the very first chapter here, starting in verse 5. John is going to start off this letter by uh, focusing in on having fellowship with God. Now, I would go ahead and keep your finger here as we work through this, um, but go ahead and let's follow along here. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, we'll read down to verse 10. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us." Now, this actually goes back to, I think, quite a bit of what we discussed this morning during Bible study. But John begins to break down this understanding for us of what exactly is fellowship. And fellowship, in a, in a very easy-to-understand uh, phrase, would really be just walking in harmony, walking in unity with God, knowing that we've sinned, knowing that we're, we're not without sin, and yet understanding that uh, when we fall, we should confess our sin by which He's faithful and just to forgive. But there's some more included in that. It's not the simple idea of, I can just do whatever I want and say I'm sorry. And we touched on that really this morning a little bit. And so, why is this really an important topic? Well, understanding this is really our motivation to remain faithful as Christians or for us to come back to faithfulness when we have veered away. When you begin to talk about the idea of fellowshipping with God, it's really, a, it's really a push not only to understand, but also then to put it in action. Because if you don't understand it, you can't put it in action. 
and yet you have to have the desire to put that understanding in action. They go hand in hand. John wants us to understand here that the peace and the, content, and the contentment that we can gain from God is one that cannot be gained from any other source. And yet, if you think about not only our society today, but as you look throughout uh, the eternity of time, this has been a constant problem. There are those who have been looking for something else, uh, and that something could be many things. Just consider our culture today. People are trying to be satisfied by self, <clears throat> money, social status, physical beauty, politics, could be their secular job, could be in forms of sensual pleasure all the way from drugs to alcohol to lustful behavior, and the list would go on and on and on. And, and if you take all of those things and you begin to ask why are people trying to fill their life with this, I think in a sense what they're trying to do is fill a void. They're looking for something, but they don't know exactly what that is. John's trying to give us some understanding about this, this fellowshipping with God. And that's part of a Christian's understanding uh, when it comes to fellowship, is that we need to understand what it is God expects of us, but at the same time we need to understand that there are some false ideas regarding fellowship. And again, we see many of those today. Let's start off with getting a basic of fellowship. What exactly is it? Well, there's some different synonyms you could use as you begin to talk about fellowship. Uh, it can be considered through these other words, companionship, uh, friendship is another synonym, partnership would be another synonym, and affiliation would be another synonym. And so the idea of being closely connected clearly is involved in that, and yet at the same time, even though many would say they understand what fellowship is, it is greatly misunderstood today. Now let's go ahead and go to John 15, 14. I want you to notice what Jesus says here. Ye are my friends, there's that synonym for fellowship. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this passage, but Jesus here lays out, first and foremost, one of the requirements for fellowship, for friendship. Okay? And you may say, well, this doesn't seem like a two-way streak. It's not. It's not a two-way street, and that's because He has all authority and power. I'm the follower. He's not. And so it's not a two-way street. We have fellowship, but He has all authority and power. So we've got to start off right there. Okay? Now let's go over to 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Here, by the same author of the passage we're looking at in 1 John 1, we find this. And again, we're talking about fellowship. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. I don't think you can find a better passage than that to tie in with what John is talking about here in fellowship. You see the idea uh, from chapter 1 moving clearly into the very next chapter. And so he's focusing in on what it means to be a friend of God. A lot of people talk about being a friend of Jesus, right? I'm a friend of Jesus. Well, are you really? Are you in fellowship? Are you in communion? Are you in unity with Jesus? Well, it starts off by realizing He is the one in position of authority and power. And that means that you are the one that must submit. And again, that's what we find from those two passages um, right off the bat as we begin to look at the topic here of fellowshipping with God. From the very beginning, 
Jesus set the terms for fellowship, both for our fellowship with Him and also our fellowship one with each other. Now let's, let's notice this because, again, I said that a lot of people will talk about how they are they're friends of... I'm, I'm a friend of Jesus, right? We even have the song. Um, fellowship isn't something that you just say. Fellowship clearly can be seen. Again, notice verse 5 here. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He starts off by giving the attributes of God. Very basic understanding of who God is. God is light. Now, you've got to remember, we are followers of God. And here specifically, he's talking about, in context, us being in fellowship. Light shines. It illuminates. It, it makes things more clear. I assume everyone here at some point has had to use a flashlight, right? We were complaining about my wife's lights on her car not being as bright as... I think they should be. Light is used to be able to see things. It, it, it makes things easier for us to comprehend. Light in the Scriptures is used to describe things which are good, those things which are righteous, those things which are true. Now, I have to point this out. For many of us, that's a benefit. We seek after light. We seek after what's true. We seek after what's good. We seek after what's pure. You need to also understand that while there are those of us that seek after the light, there are those that clearly are repulsed by the light. They're turned away by the light. They do not want the light. And I say that really considering the environment that we have around us as a whole today. But, you know, I, every time I say that and then I go back and I read my history books, it wasn't any different in the first century. It wasn't really any different at all. Light attracts and it repels. Uh, I, I don't know if all of you guys like lighthouses as much as my wife, but we go to lighthouses and we look at lighthouses and we have pictures of lighthouses. The purpose of a lighthouse is to shine the light to draw in those, right? The ones that are looking for the light. So my point is, is that sometimes light attracts and it is extremely attractive to a certain group of people, right? Those who are on the boat, those that are lost or trying to find out where the shoreline is. At the same time, you have light repels. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you guys have motion lights on your houses, but the reason for motion lights on houses, one, it allows you to see when you're coming in, but it repels who? The thief who's coming up to your door late at night, and then the light pops on. So again, light attracts, light repels. We see that logically in our everyday life. Uh, we as Christians are both a light and a sweet-smelling savor to the lost. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. And this goes back to our discussion this morning in Bible study. People see us as Christians, and one of two things are going to happen. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? To some people, God, Christ, uh, biblical-based morality are extremely offensive. They are repulsive. To others, God, biblical teaching, biblical morality, they are extremely attractive. And there are those who are seeking after that. And so begin, as they begin to look at us as a Christian, if we're in fellowship with God and we're in unity with God, we're in community with God, and when I say that, I'm talking about being in alignment with His will revealed through His Word. 
it's going to do one of two things. They're either going to be naturally attracted to that or they're going to be naturally repulsed by that. Again, it goes back to what we discussed this morning in Bible study. If people treat you unusual simply because you are a Christian, it's because to some you are the light and to others you are not a sweet-smelling savor. You are the savior, savor of death unto death. And so uh, he goes on and he says, In him is no darkness at all. The logical conclusion is, is if we're in fellowship with God and there's no darkness in Him, then there should not be any darkness in us. And again, how can you have fellowship? He's going to address this later. How can you claim to be in fellowship with God in whom there is no darkness and yet live a life of darkness, a life of sin? Darkness is the absence of light. Here it is used to represent everything that is evil, everything that's unrighteous, everything that is impure, everything that is false. In God, there is no, no approval of any of those, uh, and He does not excuse it in any way. Why? Because in Him is no darkness at all. And so God cannot excuse that. Those, that are, uh, those in total sin are in total darkness. I don't know if you guys have ever known somebody who was like that. I don't think I've met too many people who, to me, seemed in total darkness. Um, but you don't have to be in total darkness to be lost. You only have to be partially in darkness. There are some, I would say the majority of people that you know are not what we would describe as in total darkness. They may not be Christians, but they have some sense of morality about them. But in God, there is no darkness. And since God is light, we have to walk or live our lives according to the light of His truth so that we can consider ourselves in fellowship with Him. Now, many do not, and there's many reasons why. Let's talk about some of these false claims because the writer gives them to us. Let's go ahead and start in verse 6 here. 1 John 1, 6, he begins to look at the false claims of fellowshipping with God. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin." One of the very first claims he gives here is, is that one can have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. That actually came up this morning in Bible study. Not only would it be hypocritical for a Christian to say that we fellowship with God and yet live a life of sin, it's clearly, it's clearly easy to see by those around us that uh, it, it's not logical and it doesn't make sense. It's a false assertion. And that's what John is telling us here. It is clearly a false assertion to claim that I have fellowship with God and or Christ, and yet I live a life of sin. There are an awful lot of people today that I have met, talked to, or know that fall into this category. They claim to be in fellowship with God, with Christ, to be a friend of Jesus, and yet logically that doesn't line up with their actions. Let me give you, uh, let me break it down in a different way. And I've done this once before. I don't think my wife would consider me faithful if I only saw her or thought about her once per week. But there are an awful lot of Christians that actually do that. Um, some don't even go at all. I don't think that if I came home after being absent for a few weeks that she'd let me come back in the house without an apology. And yet you've got those that will miss worship week after week consistently 
uh, and they come back and act like nothing's changed. I guarantee you if I show up after I've been gone for three weeks and not a word, there's going to be a problem. But you've got Christians who do the same thing. They'll be absent for week upon week. I don't think my wife would consider me faithful if I either said, wrote, or acted in ways which shamed her. And yet, you have many people who do that simply throughout their actions where they bring reproach upon themselves, reproach upon the church, reproach upon the actual true teachings of the gospel. Week by week, they are literally living a life which is totally contrary to one who is in fellowship with God. There's no faithfulness there at all. There's no fellowship there. There's no friend of Jesus in that. And if you're like me, I, I hate to say this, but it saddens me when I see, and primarily on, we're a social media culture anymore, right? It saddens me when I, when I go through social media and I see there are Christians who are acting in non-Christ-like ways. The words that they say, the things that they, they believe, the things that they, they promote, the pictures they post. Um, sometimes I see stuff that is just so shocking I'm just I'm amazed that somebody would put that stuff on there, um, but we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to go back behind all of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and try to correct the things that they say or remove them from Facebook. How many of you guys have spent time after time after time correcting erroneous things that your brothers or sisters in Christ have posted on Facebook? Back and forth discussions, right? Um, I have seen. Not just what they say, the, the, the picture. I actually, this is a Christian I know, she's not married. She was on a date and posted a picture in a bar with the person she was on a date with. Do you guys think I would have been obligated to say something to her? I did. That, that should, why would I have, I shouldn't expect to have to send a, a Facebook message to somebody and say, are you in a bar right now? Uh, yeah, but the response was, yeah, but I'm not drinking. Really? Would Jesus be there hanging out with you with all these drunk people? You claim to fellowship Jesus, and yet you're in a bar with drunk people, right? You're, you're condoning the behavior. I bring all this down to a very logical level, guys. We are surrounded by people, many of them claiming to be Christians, who suggest or will straight out say that they're in fellowship with Jesus, and they partake in, they condone, uh, all of these actions which clearly show they are not in fellowship with God, and how could we then be in true fellowship with them? John begins to break this down for us. God, fellowship means to have something in common. People that act like that don't have anything in common with God and His teaching, with Christ and His behavior, or with us as fellow Christians. God is light. And to walk in darkness would be everything opposed to what God and Christ stands for. And yet people will claim all day long to be in fellowship with God and with Christ and either partake in or condone those type of actions. I'm not in fellowship with, with an erring Christian who's doing that. I can be, but he's going to have to do some things first. And let me say this just so it doesn't come this way to that way. Sometimes it may be me. I'm the one that needs to correct so that the fellowship can take place. Plainly put, walking in darkness is contradicting what God has commanded us to do. Listen to 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What is he talking about here? This is doing what is evil, unrighteous, wrong, 
not condoned, not permitted. And guys, this oftentimes happens even by those who know it's wrong, uh, but they'll do it anyways. I want you to listen to Peter's warning that he gave to Christians. And he basically he was saying, don't go back to what you, what you once were now that you've been in fellowship with God and with Christ and with the church. Don't go back to that. And we see, unfortunately, all the time that people do go back to the world. They go back to many of those different sinful behaviors that we could sit here and list. But listen to 2 Peter 2.20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... Let me pause. They're in fellowship, one with another and with God and Christ. And he says they do this. And they are again entangled therein and overcome... The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now, I haven't heard anything about anybody here, but let me say this. Look within yourself and ask yourself, are you truly in fellowship with God and with Christ and with your fellow brother and sister in Christ? And if you are not, take a little bit of comfort in the word there where he says, overcome. Overcome there in 2 Peter 2.20. And the reason I point that out is, is, to be overcome means for somebody to yield to that lifestyle and die that way. But you still have right now to correct the situation. You're all still alive. You have not been overcome yet. So if you're in the position now where, yeah, you're living in error, you're living in sin, you're not in fellowship with God, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you've not been overcome yet, you still have time to fix it. So take a little bit of comfort in the fact that you still have time, but you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Now, there are implications for this false claim of having fellowship uh, while we're actively sinning. And you may say, what are those? First and foremost, we lie to ourselves and others. Right? I'm telling myself I have fellowship with God when in reality I do not have fellowship with God. So one, I'm lying to myself. Two, uh, I'm false in my actions. Right? He says we do not the truth. Right? You do not the truth. I can say I'm in fellowship all day long. That's a lie to myself when I'm actively living in a lifestyle of sin. But that's not the only problem. I'm literally not doing the truth. The truth is what the Bible tells us to do, right? A lot of people are opposed to that. Here's why I'm not opposed to anything within the Bible. I didn't come up with it. It didn't come from my mind. I'm not that smart. I don't have all authority and power. I don't set, I don't set the wise. All of this was laid out, and I understand it was by inspiration, and so I just simply need to do it. If I'm not doing it, and then I claim to be in fellowship with God, I'm lying to myself, and I'm not doing the truth. We're told that we should walk in the light as He is in the light. What does that mean? Well, live a life like a follower of Christ. Don't go out and do things which are evil. Don't do things which are unrighteous. Don't do things uh, which would cause you to be in error. While here in context, going out and telling people, yeah, I'm in fellowship with God. And as I pointed out this morning, that is clearly hypocritical and everyone around us sees it. And not only that, our children see it. Our children know when, we are, when we're being hypocritical. I've told this story before, but one of my instructors in school, I won't give his name since this is going on social media, said that he was screaming at his kids in the back seat. This is back in the 60s. The windows were down. He said, I'm screaming at my kids in the back seat because they were misbehaving. And as we pulled into the church, my kid stuck his head out the window and said, my dad's a hypocrite. <laughs> right? And it, clearly he was correcting the child. But my point is, is this. Kids know when you're a hypocrite. They know. And so do your coworkers. So does everybody else in life. So again, that's why we're told to walk in the light as he is in the light. 
be in harmony with God's revelation regarding what is good, what is righteous, what is true. And when we walk in the light, we're going to experience not only fellowship with God, as we find here, fellowship one with another. And he goes on and he says, In the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son will cleanse you from all sin. Again, 1 John 1, 7. That word cleanse is a really important word. Cleanseth, actually, in the King James. Shows continuous action. The idea of a continual cleansing infers the idea that we as Christians are continually getting dirty. And therefore, we need the continual cleansing. Yet, even though we're getting dirty, he says, if we'll confess our sins and continue to walk in the light, God will continue to cleanse our sins. He is not teaching here universal salvation or universal, universal remission of sins for all people. There's both sides going on here. He talks about the need of what needs to take place for this continual cleansing. It's not just, I can go do whatever I want and God erases that. That's not what's taking place. Okay? That was the first claim. Second, second false claim is, is that we have no sin. Listen to 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Notice that if you'll do this, I'll do that. We've talked about that statement quite a bit. You see it a lot in the Old Testament. God would say, if you'll do this, I'll do that. And if you'll do this, I'll do that. Here we have one of those. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we're going to see this uh, comment again here as we get down to verse 10, talking about having not sinned. What exactly is John referencing here? There, there could be a couple things going on, specifically here in verse uh, 8 and 9. He may have been actually referencing back to the fact that there were some Christians regarding certain sins who were saying, I haven't sinned there, when in reality they had. Okay? He, they could have been talking, it, it could have been regarding that. It could have been those who, in general, did not believe that sin was actually a thing, okay? And uh, there, was, there were those even in the first century that were teaching this, uh, and there are those today who teach this. I think I mentioned to you guys, it's been about a year, a year ago. I walked up to, I still remember exactly who it was and where it was. I walked up to the machine and we were talking, me and another employee, and uh, we were joking around, and I forget what it was that was said, and I said, oh, I could never do that, that's sinful. And they said, there's no such thing for sin. There's, there's no such thing as sin. There's only what you can do, what your conscience will allow you to do or not to do. So it may be wrong for you, but it, it may be okay for someone else. And they believe there is no such thing as sin. Now, I will always tell you guys, when you have these types of converse, conversations, take everything to a logical extreme. My response back was, so then you're saying what Hitler did was okay for him and it wasn't wrong? I might just, this video may be deleted now that I just went there. But that's the logical extremism, right? Anything taken to a logical extreme, if the statement is true, should still be true. And they said, oh, oh hey, no, 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 no. I said, so there is, there is such things as sin. Yeah, they were stuck, right? There were people in the first century teaching there was no such thing as sin. And there were people who were saying, well, yeah, I'm not guilty of that. Just as, both of those, just as we have today. But there are a lot of people today who do not believe in a sense of absolute morality, just as you had in the first century. And there were people in the first century who maybe knew something was wrong but didn't think they themselves were guilty. 
Whichever one he's talking about, let's just use Romans 6.23 to realize that there is such thing as sin, and all men are guilty. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We could tie that in with uh, Romans 3.23 and realize we've all sinned, and there's a penalty for that. Okay, Each and every single sin is worthy of death or separation from the Father. To draw this again to a logical conclusion, I'm not in fellowship with God when I am being separated by my sin from God. Again, we see that. It's very logical. It's a logical conclusion. His holiness could not have any part of any sin, of any darkness, right? But if I'm living in sin, how can I claim to have fellowship with, with God? And if I suggest I have not sinned when I have or, or there's no such thing as sin, again, I'm simply just lying when the Scriptures teach otherwise. If we claim to be sinless, the consequence, again, is self-deceit. One, I'm lying to myself. I'm deceiving myself. And without the truth, the truth is not in us. How can I be in fellowship with God when the truth is not in us or in me? Now, even without knowing, uh, we're walking in darkness and not walking in light. We very clearly can find ourselves in a position where we're not in fellowship with God. As Christians, he goes on and says we, we should freely confess our sins. This is pretty hard, isn't it? John touched on it this morning. Pretty hard sometimes to admit to ourselves when we are wrong. Is that what he was talking about when in verse 8 he says, if we say that we have no sin? Is that what he was talking about? Where it's hard to admit to ourselves that we are in fact sinning in a certain area? Or does this go to the further exclusion of those that would deny sin in all regard? Whatever case it is, confessing and admitting your sins is pretty hard. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this. I don't, I don't understand why it's hard. I do, but I don't. I don't understand why it's hard for me to admit when I fall short in sin. God already knows. I'm sure my wife already knows. So why would it be hard to say it? Is it a humility problem? Or is it that I don't want to stop what it is that I'm doing? Again, a humility problem? As I sat and thought about it, yeah, it's hard to admit it. It's hard to tell somebody else. God already knows I'm struggling. As a matter of fact, probably, possibly, my brothers and sisters in Christ know that I'm struggling. And how can they help me if I won't admit it? And how can I help myself if I won't admit it to myself? You can see here why there's this need to confess. Confess it to myself. Confess it to those that I've wronged. Confess it to God as I ask for, for the strength to get over this and to get through it and again, again be faithful. He says if we'll confess, then God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. There's that big word there again, if. It takes an awful lot of humility. To forgive us of our sins, I'd break it down like this. He is he's wiping your slate clean, and He is pronouncing you free of guilt. He's not saying you've never sinned. You clearly did sin. He's removing the consequence of your guilt. He, in essence, is saying, yes, you did sin, and yes, you were worthy of death. However, I am wiping your slate clean so you're not seen as being guilty of that sin. 
I will say this for anybody who's watching this. If you're a Christian, you can repent of anything. That does not mean that you'll get rid of all the consequences for anything. You may have serious consequences for your actions, but you can still be forgiven of it. But you may have consequences in this life. The word forgive means to omit or to remit. Notice Hebrews 10, 17. He doesn't say their sins are gone like they never sinned. He says this, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He's pronouncing them free of that guilt. When a Christian repents of their sins, it's no longer remembered. It gives us access to God's spiritual cleanliness of guilt. And here's the point. If we're walking in the light, which means when I've fallen short, to walk in the light means I stopped what I'm doing. I repented of it, right? And I'm now walking faithfully. And if and when I do that, then God forgives us of our committed and or omitted sins when we repent. Why? Look at it this way. I'm living in sin. All right, here's, here's God. I'm living in sin. I'm not in fellowship with God. I'm not in unity with God. I'm living a life of what we find described here as a life of darkness. But when I repent of that and I turn from it and I, I, I then become faithful, again, I'm now in unity. I'm in communion. I'm in fellowship. And then we see that the blood cleanses. There's no cleansing of blood when I'm not in fellowship with the one who cleanses. I think we get it when we break it down logically like that. God has the power to forgive all sins, and He will, but whether or not it's forgiven is up to me. Whether or not it's forgiven is up to you. And again, I think this comes back to humility. Will we acknowledge it? Will we repent of it? We need to confess our sins as we live in the light and are faithful and just God will forgive us. Through His mercy, He makes it possible for us to continue in fellowship with Him. Otherwise, here's the thing. Think about it this way. If not for God, who is merciful and loving and willing to remove the guilt of my sin when I've confessed it and repented of it and moved on, if not for that, it would be one strike and you're out. And we already noticed in Romans 3.23 and 6.23, everyone has sinned and the consequence is death. If not for a loving, merciful God, every one of us would be destined for an eternal damnation in hell. And yet we have a loving Father who wants nothing more than for us to be in fellowship with Him, which is why John is talking about this. He's talking about on a very logical, easy-to-understand uh, uh, description of how it is that we as Christians can be in fellowship with God. He doesn't want us destined for hell. But we need to have an understanding of what fellowship is and how to correct the situation when we mess up. Let's look at the, the third false claim, and this really goes back really to actually verse 8. Um, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, verse 8 says this, if we say that we have no sin, now notice there's a slight variation here. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This may have been... The statement made by some who did not believe that they had ever sinned at all. Now, there were some that were teaching this within the first century. Or he's coming back and he is simply uh, repeating what has already been said in verse 8 for, for emphasis. But either way, for this claim to be made by somebody, there are grievous consequences. And again, that's because we make God a liar. Listen to Romans 3.23. 
Again, God said all have sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So to say that we have not sinned means this. One, I'm not accountable for anything. And two, I don't really need God. Because the whole purpose of God from the very beginning was talking about the fact that there would be a Messiah who would come and He would make it possible for our sins to be remitted. And if I go around and say that I have never sinned at all, or I am not guilty of sin, it means I, I don't need God and I can do it all by myself. And if you think that way, His Word's certainly not in you. Nobody could make these types of claims and expect to have true fellowship with God and enjoy the life that true fellowship gives. Fellowship requires faithfulness on each party involved. We already know God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 talk about that. Here's the question again. Will we hold up our part of the agreement? We already know God's faithful. There's no question whether or not God will bring to pass the promises He has given for us as Christians. Here's the question. Will I uphold my end of the bargain? If I won't, I'm truly in probably... Uh, I'm truly not in fellowship with God, uh, and unless I change my mindset, there's very small likelihood that I'll come back to being in fellowship with God. Again, fellowship is a communion with one another, and therefore fellowship with God means one has to establish communion with Him, but it has to be on His terms. Again, I, as I already ex explained, we're not in a position of all authority and power. We are in a position of submission. That's the, only, that's the only position we're ever in, a position of submission. I know in this world people think submission is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Submission is actually a wonderful thing when you have 100% faith and trust in the one you're submitting to. God's light, and in Him is no darkness. And if somebody wants to have fellowship with God, they can't have any darkness either. Walking in light... One, because we have understanding, will keep us from making false claims like we've seen here in 1 John. And two, not making false claims will not lead to eternal damnation consequences. And so if we commune with God and we're found walking in the light, we have fellowship with Him, we have fellowship one with another, that will cause us to confess our sins when we fall short of His standard and again access that cleansing blood. All of that is included in this idea of fellowship with God. We only had time really to go through five verses. There's even more included in being in fellowship with God, and that extends to the rest of our Christian family. Being in fellowship with God means that we are in fellowship one with another as faithful Christians, which then also draws to a logical conclusion that we are not in fellowship with others who are not in fellowship with God. And that's a whole different lesson for a whole different day. But as I draw this to a close, I hope you have a greater understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with God. It's not really that complicated to understand. It's complicated for us to humble ourselves and to place ourselves in a position of submission. My concern would be for anybody here or watching who's not obeyed the gospel, very simple process. The Bible is very consistent throughout all the conversion accounts. They all have basically the exact same um, requirements in each conversion account. They, had, they were hearing who Jesus was and they came to an understanding of faith, Hebrews 11.6 and John 8.24. They knew who He was. They knew why He came. They had an understanding about why He shed His blood and the establishment of the church. 
They realize the damning effect of sin and the consequence of sin, Romans 3.23 and 6.23. And so they repented of their sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Paul talks about it on Mars Hill in Acts 17, uh, 10 and, and following. We know that they heard the word, they believed, they repented of their sins, they confessed Christ with their mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10. You see the example with the Ethiopian eunuch there in Acts 8. And then we know in every conversion account, they were immersed in water for the remission of sins, which is what Jesus taught, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says that's how we get into Christ. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says it is a burial in water in which you come up a new creation in Christ. And 1 Peter 3, 21 says it saves you. That's how people became Christians. I'm not sure what you've been taught today, but that's what the Bible teaches regarding how to become a follower of Christ. And then after that, you need to be faithful, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel, we'd love to study with you. If you're watching this online uh, and you don't know where to go, if there's not a local faithful congregation, contact us. We'll study with you or find somebody for you to study with. If you are here and you're a Christian, if there's some other spiritual need you have, you can come forward as we're led together in a song of invitation.